I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. To all those who need it. So last week we were talking a little bit about how perfectionism is the enemy of Zrizus. And that perfectionism gets in the way sometimes. It bogs a person down from being able to do what really they should be doing and what they need to be doing in terms of uh, a mitzvah. And just a quick review that the idea of Zrizus is usually associated with speed, right? Somebody who gets things done quickly. But that's the homer. That's the raw material, so to speak, of Zrizus. The Tsura part of Sriza, because speed is not all it is, is about being aware and doing whatever you're doing right with intention and mindfulness. So again, it's paying attention to what you're doing, putting your heart into it, and not doing it in a haphazard kind of way, even if it's some, you know, you're doing it speedily. We gave the example of the two kids who get their rooms cleaned up, right? They're both really speedy, but the mother comes in and one kid's room is like really legitimately neat. And the other kid's room also looks pretty good, except everything's been thrown under the bed and under his pillow, under his pillow. So it's a different type of reasons. And of course, the first one is the type that we're looking at. Now, before we finished last week, we were talking about, again, how perfection can be the enemy of good enough. Okay, and Sarah Hanaratov talks about how um, it's so important to give kids conditional, but also unconditional praise. And they should be at least 50-50. In other words, there's nothing wrong with when you, you know, comment on a job well done, when you give praise for something that they did. But she said, how often is our praise not connected to an action? And how much do we realize that just saying, you know, I love you just because you're my kid. I'm so lucky that I'm your mother, whatever it is, that those, she says, are even more crucial for the building of self-esteem than the praise that we give that's connected to an action. So she says, perfect is the enemy of good enough. And in the desire to be perfect with our children, we give them the message that anything that is not perfect is not good enough. There's actually a book by somebody named Winnicott called The Good Enough Parent. And sometimes as parents, we model a certain anxiety about trying to be perfect. And again, the opposite of Zrizus is something called shiflut. And shiflut is created at times because we're avoiding something because it needs to be perfect or I'm not going to do it. So we have to learn how to say, I can do this mitzvah good enough. So um, Robertson Dina Schoonmaker gives an example of a young Balchuba who was getting married, who had actually gotten married, and everybody was talking about making Sheva brachas for him, the seven meals that you have after a wedding. And she said, nobody really had any time. And, you know, everybody was talking about, you know, how I'd love to do it. And, you know, but, you know, what's the theme going to be? And what are the flowers going to be like? And what are we going to make? And she said, in the end, nobody did it because everybody was too busy discussing, you know, all of the details of it and getting kind of like, sort of overwhelmed by the task. And, you know, I don't really have time to do this. She said, in the end, she made this, this one woman made it with cold cuts. She made it very simple. In the end, this, this, uh, this chassan only had two sheva brachas because everybody else who was discussing it for weeks had too many ideas of how to make it fancy, how to do it the right way, how to make it perfect. And in the end, he had these two very simple sheva brachas, which, of course, he majorly appreciated. And he remembered, of course, forever and ever. So sometimes, again, just an example of how we can get bogged down. It's not about laziness, but it's about having to feel like we can't do it any way other than the highway. And simple 
or good enough is not good enough. So Budget Gallant says, you know, we create very high standards in a lot of areas, and we have to be careful that those standards don't prevent us from doing things. So each one of us personally, we can look into our own lives and see, you know, which areas is it that we say, no, 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 this, no, if, if I can't do this perfectly, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Now, again, I mentioned this before that Bacha Gallant in her book, um, what's it called? I can't remember right now. But anyway, she says that some Jewish people confuse growth with perfectionism. No human being will ever be perfect. She actually says that this is a Christian concept that is not rooted in Judaism. Okay? And we actually say a bracha. After we eat certain foods, we say, that God, you created many things and you also created what is lacking, what's lacking in these things. So we are also created with our lackings. We talked about avoidance cycles, that often what happens is a person creates an avoidance cycle. You know, at first they, it starts out small, you say, I can't do that, or I'm not comfortable with that. And then what happens is it gets larger and larger and larger. So we want to break an avoidance cycle. Something I'm afraid of doing. Something that I don't do perfectly. But break that avoidance cycle. Do it and realize, I survived. I survived. I, it wasn't perfect, but it was good enough. Now, even the way we say sorry to somebody, it doesn't necessarily have to be perfect, but you can say about it, I did it, I did it. Okay, we're going to go to the next topic, which as I mentioned last week is all about ants, or at least that's a lot about what we're going to talk about. And it's cute because I just found some ants in my kitchen lately. I guess that's a I mean, if you want to be positive, right, I guess that means spring is coming. I'm wiping my counters like crazy. I don't know where they're coming from. But if I want, I can do what Shlomo HaMelech tells us all to do in Sefer Mishle, which is, it says, lazy person, says King Solomon, go to an ant and watch her ways and you will become smarter. I still remember a kid in my son's class Maybe in grade five, he got an ant, an ant thing for his birthday. You remember those things where you could put, I don't know if the ants came with them or you had to go find them, but you know, you could sit and watch ants because Shlomo Amalek teaches us there's a lot you can learn from them. Now, Chazal, our rabbis tell us we can learn from every kind of animal. So what do we learn from a nimala? In Hebrew, an ant is a nimala. Okay, so we learn from an ant not to steal. Now, what does this have to do with reasons, with our get up and go, with our desire to get things done? So the rabbis teach us that the ultimate reasons is wanting to enjoy the fruits of your own labor. And ants don't steal. And what is stealing? Stealing is short-circuiting. Stealing short-circuits, enjoying the fruits of your own labor. It shows a lack of zriza. Because it indicates somebody who hates work and wants ill gain. Okay, they want to get it the easy way. Not like the ant who works very hard and does not steal. Now, there was a, a young yeshiva boy. He was 21 years old. His name was Shlomo Karlinsky. He lived, uh, unfortunately, he died in a car accident. But when they went through his things in his room in the yeshiva dorm, they found a lot of his writings, anecdotes, poetry, and it was really something special. And it was made into a book called Adam Be'olamo. A man in his world. And in this book, he talks about how he decided to do what Shlomo HaMelech says to do. And he watched the ants. And he would get down on the floor in his dorm room. 
and he would sit and watch the ants for hours. Okay, since Shlomo HaMelech said it will make you wise. And he watched them schlepping the food back and forth. And he asked himself, what can I learn from this? So, you know, the first thing he noted is how frail the body of an ant is, how tiny the ant is. I had a grandchild over yesterday who, of course, squished one, you know, under his thumb and in great delight, you know. But anyway, he says they're so tiny, but they keep doing the same job again and again. And what he drew from this is they must identify so completely with their job that they can do what looks to be this very boring, you know, habitual over and over again task and not tire of it. It must be because she denies the concept of the boring, same old, same old. She doesn't believe in the boring routine that we as humans will roll our eyes at. She doesn't accept it. She doesn't accept that this is boring, that this is purposeless, that this is beneath me. She doesn't need validation and she doesn't need appreciation. Her greatness this Bacher noted, is that she does the job without all the self-talk needed to do it or that others should recognize her. Okay, now in the middle of him watching the ants, I guess some of his friends came in and one of them stepped on one of the ants, okay? And uh, he bends down to, to, you know, eulogize this ant and he notices that she's actually still alive. And he says to himself, again, to learn something from the ant, he says, why did she survive this stamp, this stomping on top of her? And he says, her lightness and smallness saved her from the stamp. Because he says, the more inflated you are, the bigger your ego the more a stamp affects you, the more somebody stepping on you <laughs> affects you. He says the ant survived this stomp because this is the greatness of the ant. She's not full of herself. Her ego is not inflated. And because of this, she's able to survive the challenges of life. So just a beautiful analogy to this, this little ant that somehow survives this stomp. And he says it's because she's light, she's small, her ego doesn't get in the way, and she survives because she's not inflated. Back to this ant, it says she doesn't need the instant results or the gratification of what I produced. And she doesn't analyze the things that we do as human beings, you know, that slip us down in life. You know, this is so routine. This is so boring. I'm underpaid. I'm overworked. I'm underappreciated. This is all the self-talk of the ego, right? I didn't get all these degrees to wash windows and wipe runny noses. So now animals don't have egos, obviously, but it doesn't mean that we can't learn from them and learn from this little ant. Another thing we learn from the ant is that simplicity, which again, we mentioned in terms of perfectionism, which is obviously part of ego, okay? Simplicity is the partner of Zrizus. There are certain types of people you don't even wanna ask them a favor because they have a million questions about the favor that you're asking them. You know, why are you asking me? Why don't you ask her? How do you expect me to do this? Well, do you want it done this way? Do you want it done that way? And it's like, it's already too tiring to ask them for a favor. Because she says, ego is a zrizut zapper. Too much ego zaps our desire to do. It's also that when we don't identify with, with what we do, the way the ant identifies with what it's doing all the time, it zaps us of our energy. So we have to find the enjoyment in what we're doing. You know, I mentioned that my mother used to get us to clean up the kitchen. She'd say, come on, girls, let's sing the kitchen clean. 
And, you know, we'd be singing songs like Crystal While You Work and A Spoonful of Sugar Makes the Medicine Go Down. And of course, you know, it ended up being uh, the kind of job that you didn't feel was a job anymore because you were totally involved and you owned it. When we don't identify with what we're doing, it schleps us down. Dina Schoomaker says about herself that she found it interesting that when she only had a few kids and they were all young, she kept things simple and she did everything herself because she couldn't rely on her little kids to help her. She says, now that I have older kids and others that are younger underneath, I'm always asking myself, hey, why am I doing this? You do it. I'm above this. I shouldn't be doing this. So she says sometimes, you know, it could be that, yes, maybe she needs some assistance, but it's just interesting that now her ego kicks in more often and says, I don't want to be doing this. I want you to do this. Where before, when her kids were younger, she did the same acts, but totally identifying with her role. Now, the Kohen, Kohanim, the Kohanim have a job in the base of Mikdash that's a very physical job. They have to slaughter animals and they're busy with blood. They did it every single day and they identified with it. When you see a larger purpose in what you're doing and you get rid of the ego and the negative self-talk, you enjoy it more. And the truth is, is that everything that we do can be sublimated and directed towards Avodas Hashem. Everything we do in our day from the most mundane, which most of our lives and most of the things we do are mundane, the glorious mundane, I like to call it, right? We should all be healthy and well and safe and protected and be able to do the glorious mundane every single day. God forbid somebody who's sick is lying in bed and can't do anything and wishes they could just do the mundane. But the point is, is the mundane and all of those extras that we think of really living are all part of a Bodhis Hashem. I remember my teacher, Rebbe Weinberg, used to actually tell us that, you know, when you're changing your kid's diaper, you could even be thinking about, you know, how Hashem cleans us up all the time, right? We have this mitzvah called tshuva, that basically, you know, you could imagine it's like we dirty our diaper. And all we have to do is say sorry and forgive me. And God, so to speak, takes that dirty diaper away and throws it into the garbage. And so even your child-rearing Monday task of cleaning a dirty baby can be sublimated into thinking about everything I do is a Vodas Hashem. And that which I might call mon mundane and boring is not if you see it as you are working in the king's palace. And if you're working for the king, you don't really go into the king's palace and say, sorry, king, I don't do windows. You know? It's like, no, it's, you know, you're happy to do the king's windows. You, know, you want me to do your windows? No problem. Wow. What an honor. So this is the way we have to look at all of the things that we do and we go through, especially as women, right? Especially in our younger years, for sure. Life could be very mundane. So what else can we learn from the ants? Now, this boy is not the only one who used to sit for hours and watch the ants, but we're told that the great rabbis of the Talmud, the early rabbis, used to get down on the floor to learn from the ants. And this is what one of them says. Her lifespan is six months, and all she needs for sustenance for six months is one and a half pieces of wheat. So why does she work so hard collecting so much more than what she needs? So he says, maybe she's thinking, or this could be what she's thinking, right? Maybe Hashem will lengthen my life and I will need more food than I collect. So I've got to keep on working. Now he says, this is an example of bitachon. She has bitachon in her nature, bitachon meaning trust in God. Now, what we just said see, would seem to be the antithesis of bitachon. But he says working hard and not being a minimalist is part of bitachon. Working hard and not saying, ah, oh, I got enough. You know what? I got one and a half pieces of wheat. 
I'm only living six months. It's more than enough. I can even have dessert, you know, and what am I working so hard? What am I, you know, let me lie down and relax and enjoy myself. So he says, this is not, this is, uh, goes against number one's reasons, but it even goes against bitachon. Because as much as we're supposed to say, whatever Hashem gives me is enough, if it's coming from laziness, then it is a negative character trait. If you're working hard at the same time that you're saying, whatever Hashem gives me is enough, then that comes from bitachon, right? Because again, bitachon is understanding that I am not, I have to make the efforts. But ultimately, Hashem is in, in charge of the results. But I'm going to work hard and I'm going to make the efforts. Somebody who sits back on the opposite extreme and says, what do I have to do anything for? Hashem does everything. Hashem takes care of everything, right? It's really very often can be a disguise for laziness. Okay, now on the one hand, it's confusing because not needing so much is actually a spiritual value, right? We should be content with a little bread, some water, and some salt, you know, and sleeping on the floor, as Pirkei Avo says. We should be content with little. And yet, here we're saying that there's, there's, there, that it's, it's meritorious that the ant keeps working, even though it's much, much more than what he needs. And the reason for this is because being busy and productive is also a spiritual value in Judaism. Not being productive leads to all kinds of negative things. Okay, we know, you know, it can lead to depression. But more than that, the rabbis teach us that boredom leads to avera, leads to sin. Being productive keeps me away from trouble. Okay? So in a woman's world... The way it applies to us, ladies, is that being productive keeps us away from negative thoughts. And people with too much free time can spend a lot of time in, in a negative place, specifically when it comes to women complaining about other people, analyzing other people. Why didn't she say thank you? Why didn't she treat me properly? I do this for her all the time. She never does this for me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If we have too much leisure, too much empty space, unfortunately, this is the way, and I'm talking to women, so women primarily, this is the way we tend to use it, right? And so being productive keeps you away from Avera, not only in terms of excessive pleasures, which is also frowned upon, right? Going out for coca mochas every single day with your friends and talking about all the people who didn't do things right by all of you, okay? <laughs> and what's wrong with her and what's wrong with her and what's wrong with her and why she thinks she's so great and she's really not so great and blah, 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 okay? But it also keeps you away from um, forbidden pleasures, but also in your thoughts. It keeps you away from negative thinking. The ant teaches us that you have to keep busy because it keeps you healthy and away from sin. And obviously when people feel productive, they don't have time to be overwhelmed and busy with negativity. There, it's much easier if those negative thoughts come up to be able to shun them and push them aside. <clears throat> okay. So Masila Susharim tells us, the book, The Path of the Just, that part of Zrizus is good planning for the day. The wise person sees the future. Chacham ro'e'es hanolat. So if you find yourself wasting time, whether it's on Facebook or watching or listening to the news over and over again, you have to ask yourself, what's taking me away from my goals? Because prioritizing and organizing is definitely part of Zrizus. And one of the ways that you can sort of counteract your, your shiftless is, I think I mentioned last week, by doing something that you don't really like to do, by doing that first, by taking care of it first thing and rewarding yourself that you did that thing that is really sort of like we said, shiftless is carrying around this heavy 
load that you can't get rid of because you're not paying attention to it. And it could be a physical thing, but it could be an emotional thing too. Calling up that person, clearing the air with them. Okay. We want to get rid of that because again, it's a Zriza zapper. It takes away our energy. Now there are days when, you know, we don't feel like doing anything and that's okay. You know, there's days when we just want to stay in our house coat and slippers and walk around in circles. <laughs> and, and, you know, as long as that's not your, uh, you know, where you, what you're doing all the time, then once in a while it's, 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 you know, you don't have to start beating yourself up and saying, what's wrong with me? I'm not producing. I'm not doing anything. You can give yourself that unconditional praise and say, I like you just because you're you. You know, you don't have to do anything. I just love you because Hashem loves you. And it's good enough. It's good enough. It's all right. We can do that. Okay. But again, productivity is very important because we know that Without it, we tend to go to the negative. So here's something else that one of the rabbis says about these ants. She really eats wheat, but she collects everything that is there because only later on will she decide what she needs and what she doesn't need. Okay? So the ant picks up everything, not just what she needs in terms of eating, but everything. And it's only later, he says, that she actually starts separating what she needs from what she doesn't. So the Sifse Chaim says about this, again, the same idea that perfectionism can zap Zrizus. In other words, if I don't find that perfect piece of wheat, then I'm not doing this. Okay? So he asks, why is she schlepping home everything? What, what is she doing? So he says, right now, the ant is in productive mode. She's not going to let her pickiness and her perfectionism get in the way. So Dina Schoomaker says she has a kid who, you know, whenever she comes into the kitchen and she wants to cook, she tells her mother, I can't cook in this kitchen unless it's perfectly clean. You know, I, you know, so it's like, okay. Uh, or, you know, she says, like, somebody might say, you know, I want to make this recipe, but I can't make it because if I don't have the exact ingredients and if they're not fresh and I didn't just get them, then I'm not making this recipe. So again, she's giving uh, different uh, ways in which, you know, our pickiness, our perfectionism can get in the way of us doing something. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do things right. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do things the way you like it and the way you know it is the best way. But what the rabbis and the Musa rabbis are telling us is you have to check yourself. And this goes with every character trait and with all of our motivations. You know, introspection, somebody who's introspective, it means they're always, you know, again, not in terms of paralyzing oneself, but just asking yourself, you know, why am I doing this? Why am I getting so anxious about this cake I'm making? Why am I getting so anxious about the people that I'm having over? And of course, as women, we know it's because we want it to be done well. We want it to be done perfectly. It has to be my way or the highway, you know? It's, it's just gotta be, it's gotta be the way I like it. So again, sometimes we have to fight these feelings. You know, it's always the husbands that are saying, we don't need another kugel. We don't need, we'd rather have a happy mother. You know, stop making challah. Go buy it if it's going to make you crazy, okay? Everybody has to know where that point is. Because even the women who do it all, they still have a point where it's like over the boiling point. It's over the pressure point. And the question that Rabbi Shimon Bar Chalafta says, <clears throat> You have to check yourself, okay? And make sure that your intentions are pure and that you're properly balanced and that maybe you have to say, it's good enough and I'll do it simply and it's okay. 
and nobody's judging me or testing me and they won't take it off my off my great you know gravestone that I was the best cook on the planet okay they won't do that or everything was always perfect and the napkins were always you know whatever it is whatever it is that we pride ourselves on okay they'll they'll still keep it there on the gravestone okay so Rabbi Shimon Bar Halafta actually says, you learn proper etiquette from the ant because she runs away from gezel. Gezel means stealing. She runs away from gezel. He says, this rabbi says, I was watching the ant and one ant dropped a piece of wheat halfway to her destination. And everyone came, the other ants gathered to see the wheat. They smelled it. And they could smell that it was touched by a different ant and no one took it. Okay, it's kind of like what you heard when you were a kid, don't touch the robin's eggs, right? Because although I guess this is different, that, that was like the mother bird will never come back or something and take care of her young. But this is that um, if somebody touched that wheat, nobody's touching it. So again, we learn about stealing from the ants. And, you know, this rabbi is thinking to himself, stupid ant, you could have taken that piece of wheat and saved it and saved yourself some work because the other guy already schlepped it halfway there. He already did half the work for you. Just take that piece and take it the rest of the way. Right. But no, he says they won't take it. They will not take it. <clears throat> so the Yalkut Shimoni teaches us that this is not just about theft. But it's about the proper attitude towards shortcuts. Okay, something that we mentioned a little earlier. He says the ultimate manifestation of Zrizos is not wanting to steal, not wanting to gain anything or get anything with ill gain, without your own hard work, not wanting to take shortcuts. So every time I take the easy way out of something, and this is the opposite idea, right, of, of simplicity. But if I'm doing it in, in a way, if my intention is I want to take the easy way out, I need to check myself. Here's another area where I need to check myself. Again, there's nothing wrong with shortcuts sometimes, but you have to check yourself and ask the question, on what account? In other words, you know, I have to calculate this because maybe I'm taking a shortcut here, but what is it doing to me in the big picture to be taking these shortcuts? Why am I taking this shortcut? Because getting used to shortcuts can rob you of the value of your own creative efforts. So the question that a person has to ask is, does taking a shortcut here free me up to do something else? That is a priority. So if that's the reason you're taking a shortcut, then it's a good reason. Then there's nothing wrong with the shortcut. But where it becomes the wrong choice is if the shortcut is making you lazy. And again, we said that laziness is the opposite of Zrizos. Laziness is... Um, as Riza Zapper, it, it, it is the picture that uh, Shlomo Hamelech paints. He says, I walked by the home of a lazy man and his house was surrounded by thorns and thistles, right? The garden was a mess. Nobody does the lawn. Nobody does anything there. This is the picture that Shlomo Hamelech paints of the lazy man. So for example, an example that uh, Robinson Schoonmaker gives. If your shortcut's making you lazy, you have to ask yourself, why am I taking the shortcut? Example, buying ready-made food. So if you're buying ready-made food to free yourself up, to give yourself a break, to take care of other things that are more of a priority, for example, you have to ask yourself, will this facilitate positive use of energy or will it make me lazy? 
Um, Dina tells a story about uh, when her children were young about a Revitson, a wise Revitson who told her, you know, you need to delegate more. And she said, why do you need to delegate more? Because the cucumber doesn't care who cuts it, but the child cares that you read him a story. Again, so, you know, having help in the house, having somebody come in to cut your vegetables so you can spend more time with your kids. So obviously that's a shortcut or that's a something that you're doing in order to be able to take care of something that's a priority. But if you have somebody cutting your vegetables and reading your kids' stories and you're out having cocomocas with your girlfriends all day long, okay, then there's something wrong there with your priorities. And that's where we would consider laziness as something that even if the person doesn't think of themselves as a lazy person, right? They're always busy. They're always running around, you know, helping with this seductor or doing that, but their priorities and we're all on what cheshbon, on what calculation am I taking away from the wrong place, putting into a different place. And it's actually symbolic or it's actually uh, feeding a certain laziness that I have, obviously in areas that I don't enjoy, right? We said that, you know, zrizos means that even in the areas that you want to perhaps avoid, that you don't really enjoy that much, that you don't feel fulfilled doing, right? Washing the floor again. You have to try and get back to that idea that everything I do, I'm working for the king. There's nothing that's extraneous. It's just about my identifying with my job, the way the ants so deeply identify with their job. It's not routine. It's not boring. It's not mundane. It's thank God I'm well, I can do this. And it's my pleasure. And even if I don't get the appreciation and the gratification of others telling me how great I am, I identify with this job that I have. And I don't need that, right? It's about working again on the ego. But back to the laziness idea, right? We should want to use our own efforts to create things. This is a Torah idea. The more creative part of us sometimes is pushed aside when we take shortcuts. And we have to exercise this part of us because we're imitating Hashem when we're creative. And when we do something with all of our own kohot, with all of our own energies, we have a certain pleasure from it. You know, we're using our own energies to create, to do, not getting other people to do it for us. You know, if it's not the right thing, if it's creating laziness, this cycle of laziness. And we're actually imitating Hashem, who is obviously the greatest expression of creative creativity as creator of this world and each one of us. So we're, we're exercising that part of ourselves. Um, so again, you know, when it comes to the homer of people who have zrizos, we're all very different. There are some people who can never sit still. There are some people who are in constant motion 24-7. And they're always working hard. And then some of us have a homer where, you know, we, we work hard for a few hours a day or whatever amount of time it is, but that's it. We're done. We don't have any more energy or we're the type of person that needs to relax more often, that takes breaks in between, you know, that knows how to stop. You know, I always have this image of my mother in the middle of the day. She'd literally lie down on the couch with her hot tea and lemon or hot water and lemon with a good book for all of us to see. And it was kind of like she was teaching us self-regulation and self-care. Like, this is what I'm doing now. And of course, we'd all bother her and say, can I have a drink of your tea? Can I have the lemon? I, you know, <laughs> what, what are you reading? Can you read it to us? You know, but the point was, it was like, this is my space now. This is what I'm doing. And, you know, I realized that she modeled for us working hard, but also saying, this is just for me, you know, I'm worth it. 
I'm giving this to myself right now. And it was not, you know, it was like in the middle of the day sometimes. Anyway, you don't think about these things until you're older and you look back and you realize, you know, some of the things that you pick up. Okay, um, so yeah, so we're different. We have to realize we are different. There are people who get things done quickly and people who don't, people who need more time. And that's not necessarily, again, what Homer, what Zrezus is. Zrezus is achieving my goals, whatever they might be, in whatever time it takes me to achieve them, without trying to avoid them, without finding excuses for not doing them, like perfectionism, or without, you know, taking the time to think about, well, maybe it's my own laziness that's keeping me from doing this. And when we do these things, when we do what we're supposed to do, this reasons that we have makes us feel good about, my, about ourselves. There are people who, when they're tired, you know, that's when they start thinking about a project that they want to do. Because when they're tired, they say, I need to do more. I want to energize myself. And there are other people who know they're able to just be tired and not do anything and relax. And that's, again, that's, that's part of our homer. That's what makes us different from one another. Okay. Um, another beautiful idea, and God willing, we're going to finish with uh, this, this series on Zrizos. But um, this Shlomo Karlinsky, this boy that uh, was killed, unfortunately, who wrote this book, who they wrote this book uh, based on his teachings. He says, um, first of all, the idea is that productivity always has to be measured in light of my physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. I have to be in touch with myself. I have to know whether I'm overdoing and running away from something or whether I'm balanced in my physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being. Because Rezus is about freeing up positive energy. Okay? So this Shlomo Karlinsky says that there's something called domain. Domain in the world is inanimate objects. And their domain, to be domain, to be inanimate, he says their instruction book, that is their instruction book for preserving themselves. Meaning inanimate objects are things that don't get used because when you use inanimate objects, they get worn out. The more you play with something, the more you use that thing that is inanimate, he says, the more worn out it gets. It doesn't get better with use. But he says a human being is called a high, which means living, alive. High means life. And the instruction book for maintenance of a high is to, is to live, is to be in use, is to be in action. And the more in action a high is, the more alive he is. This Slomo Karlinsky says an inanimate object does better on the shelf, but a human being does better in action. So we know that in the world of exercise, when you use your muscles, you get stronger. Use it or lose it. The best thing is to use your body to make it stronger. Lying in bed does not make it stronger. Now, the same is true for your character traits. The more you do kindness, the more you become kind. The more you work on patience, the more patient you become. The maintenance of a high of us, of living beings, is to use it. Whereas an inanimate object, it's let it alone. So what he's telling us is we all need to use our cohos, no matter whether I'm busy 15 hours a day or whether I'm tired after eight hours a day. That doesn't matter. Um, Something that you do yourself means more to you. Something that you've worked on and created through your own energies, you own it. It becomes part of you. You know, it's the difference between reading the cliff notes and reading the actual book by the author. So what's going to remain with you many years later? 
the difficult work of actually reading the author's work or the cliff notes. That's one example. So a person always has to ask themselves, maybe I'm taking the shortcut, maybe it's going to save me time, but what am I losing out by not engaging in this project, you know, with all of my co-hosts, with all of my energy? The end is willing to do hard work. It doesn't want shortcuts. Satisfaction comes from the commitment. Okay, the last idea that I want to give here. Again, the idea here is that, you know, everyone has areas where they're efficient and areas where they're slower. We all have areas of Zrizit and Shiflet in our personalities, but in different measures. Okay, the last idea that I want to give, which is much more of an emotional idea, comes from Orchos Tzadikim, another Musr Sefer, which actually many believe was written, it was written anonymously, and many believe it was written by a woman. Okay, um, the wife of the Rush. I'm not sure when the Rush lived, but probably 18th century. And she's the one who wrote this. And she talks about Zrizus in terms of making up after an argument. And she base, bases it on the Pasuk in Tehillim, the, the verse in Tehillim in Psalms, Bakke Shalom Varadfehu. Bakke Shalom means ask for peace and run after it. Pursue peace. You should run after peace. So she talks about Zrizus and making peace after a difficult situation. And again, we have the Matzah version of making peace and the Chametz version of making peace. The Matzah version is do it right away, right? Do it right away. Take the initiative to make amends. The Chametz version is let it schlep. Eventually, we'll get back to our relationship. Hopefully, it'll work out. Eventually, everybody will forget and calm down, and it'll be fine. Now, of course, there might be times when that's the only way to go. But what she's saying is there's a lot of times when that's not the way to go. Revolba says that sometimes there are people who should be picking up the phone to ask forgiveness from you. But if you pick up the phone first, if you're the initiator, there is so much purity that comes with being the first, with being big enough to want to make amends, to want to let it go. Now, of course, this is good to do before Rosh Hashanah, but he says what happens a lot of time is that when you initiate, you actually help the other person to apologize just by setting the stage for a nice, sincere interaction. And this is what um, the author of Orchosat Tzadikim calls Bakke Shalom Veradfehu. You should want Shalom and run after it. If we can be that person, we should try to do it. And she says, you need Zrizu to regulate yourself from negative thoughts, like hatred and jealousy. When you regulate yourself, you're able to have Zrizus, right? Because you get rid of that negative energy that, 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 that keeps you down and you can move away from the negative thoughts. So just to end, you know, what she says is sometimes we're triggered by others. It can ruin our day. It can ruin the minute. It can ruin the hour. It can ruin the week. But we have to say to ourselves, I don't want this to schlep. I'm going to regulate myself more quickly. You know, back to our muster principle. I'm going to move it from the regesh to the seichel. I'm going to use rezos, right? Alacrity, being speedy, you know, seeing my goal and knowing what I want to get to. And I'm going to move that regesh, that feeling of anger, of upset, more quickly to regulate myself. Now, some negative emotions take on a life of their own if you let them fester. And that's why they're harder to regulate. It's easier if you do it right away. Daniel Goleman, in his book, An Emotional Intelligence, he explains all of this in a scientific way. He says it's not about repression and denial. You should feel the feelings. Emotions discover a problem. Feel them. You can think about them. 
but then you should decide to do something quick about it. And that's really, again, and probably the most important place in our lives, right? We've talked a lot about the doing and the physical way that we need to not allow Zrezus to zap us of our energy, whether it's perfectionism, whether it's laziness, whether it's uh, low self-esteem, the shiftless that says it doesn't matter if I do it, nobody cares if I do it, nobody cares if I show up. There are so many things that we've gone through in this series about what kind of things cause a lack of zrezus, hating hard work, indulging in too many pleasures, right? We said water is indicative of pleasure. Too much water kills the plant. It doesn't allow for growth. When we give our kids too much, we take away their initiative. We take away their motivation, right? So we talked about all these things, but I think it's a nice thing to leave us with, especially as we're coming up to Kabbalah Satora. And of course, the prerequisite for being the Kabel the Torah is unity, is achdut. And we know that when the Jews were waiting for the Torah, it says, Vayichan sham har, that they were camped there opposite the mountain. And it uses the singular Vayichan instead of Vayichanu to tell us they were Ishechad Belevechad, they were like one person with one heart. Now, the only way this is possible is if. They have forgiven each other for all of the different triggers in the desert and all the different things that, of course, happen between people. So perhaps one of the greatest things we can do in terms of our series in Zrezus is, again, use Zrezus to get rid of the upset, to get rid of the trigger more quickly and make amends with the person who's created it, who's caused it, say, I'm sorry, even if you're not the one who needs to say you're sorry, Open the door for them to say they're sorry. Revolba says that when you initiate it, even when you're not the guilty one, um, then it comes from a place of purity. And um, sometimes we find out that we were guilty when we initiated, or, you know, we did have a role to play, which could sometimes be surprising. But at least we get to the bottom of it and we don't build this toxic monument inside of us that we schlep around and that becomes one of the greatest Riza sappers. Hey, ladies, I really thank you for joining me. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DevorahVale at yahoo.ca. That's Devorah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at yahoo.ca.